time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin'. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you on the podcast. Welcome and happy, happy new year. Hope you celebrated well. Some companies are off today. Some companies are working. So it depended on how you handled Friday. So anyway, we're glad to have you listening in live with us. We've got some people dialed in or, or logged in and listening live. Got a couple of notes already. And they have several things they want to talk about. But again, this podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals. And we're so grateful to have you as our listener. Again, our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. Again, it's January 3rd, and we've got some interesting things to talk about. In the Hot Topics segment, we caught up with Shana Arrington. She is Chief Compliance Officer at The Money Source, and we're going to have her on the podcast talking about things that are really related to things we can anticipate in 2022. Anyway, so good to have you with us. Uh, check out all the podcasts over at Industry Syndicate. We're pleased to be a part of the Industry Syndicate. They do a great job of working with us on getting our podcast out, as well as many others. Check it out, as well as grateful to have us our sponsors. Thank you so much for the Mortgage Bankers Association. Uh, we're grateful for them. Check out the MBA, the IMB conference that's coming up here in a few weeks in Nashville. It's a great conference. I encourage you to be there. Also, Finastra's Fusion Mortgage Bot Solution does a great job of helping you at point of sale and origination. They interface with so many platforms. I love their open architecture. It's one of the things that Finastra does extremely well. Also, Lenders One. Check out Justin Demolia's interview we did about the vision of Lenders One. In fact, we've got our upcoming winners conference in both for the Lenders One and the Mortgage Collaborative. We're going to be at both of them. Check out Mortgage Collaborative and Lenders One. These two co-ops do a great job. They do not compete with the MBA. That's important. You've got to be a member of the MBA. But these are two organizations that you can be a part of. They'll help you get to know your peers and understand what's going on in companies similar to your size. Now, the IMB conference can do that as well, but these two co-ops are smaller subset and very active, and I recommend them. Also, I want to say Accelerate, doing a great job with leading ed technology and mortgage expertise with pre-designed campaigns that can help you enhance the borrower engagement. Also, KnowledgeCoop, a wonderful learning management system, as well as Mobility, MMI, and Modix. Both of these companies help you connect with the right loan officers for your company. Also, SnapDocs does a great job on the e-mortgage experience, as well as SuccessKit. If you want to have your testimony told, no better way to get business in the door than to get people who are telling your testimony and telling it well. That's what SuccessKit does. They help you get your story told well. Also, Lenders Toolkit. Love working with Brent Emler and brilliant software and how they work with lenders. Check out all the services Lender Toolkit offers today. A special thank you to Rob, Les, Alex, Allen, Matt, and of course, Jack Nunnery, who's sharing the microphone with me. We're so glad to have you here. We're going to move right into the hot topic segment. Let's do so now. Welcome to the Lickin' on Lending hot topic segment. It is January 3rd, 2000. 
2022. Getting used to saying that. Happy New Year. Folks, we have in the Hot Topic segment today our special guest, Shana Arrington. She is Chief Compliance Officer at The Money Source. Shana oversees compliance across all business channels, including correspondence, servicing, subservicing, and formally the company's retail and wholesale origination channels. This includes oversight of the company's legal and regulatory compliance, change management policies and procedures, quality control, compliance testing, licensing, and examinations. She is one busy person. Before joining TMS, Shana worked at a mortgage banking-focused law firm where she served as outside compliance counsel to a variety of lenders and servicers. She has extensive government and regulatory experience, including time at the Department of HUD and the Department of Justice. So excited to have this and share with you listeners, this interview that we recorded. Shana, good to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me today. It's good. I'm looking forward to it. Tell our audience a little bit about yourself so they get to know who Shana is. Sure. So I like to say I am a recovering attorney now that I'm in-house. I started my career in Washington, D.C., working for the federal government at what I like to call the alphabet soup of government regulatory agencies in the financial services space. So I worked at FINRA, FBI in their financial crime section, SEC, Department of Housing and Urban Development in DOJ. And then when I left government service, I went into private practice and I worked at a law firm within the mortgage banking space. And my clients were primarily mortgage banking lenders, servicers, vendors, all within the industry. And then almost five years ago now, I came over to the money source and I've been in-house ever since. Well, that's awesome. Well, it's a great firm and we're thrilled to have you here. And as your title suggests, you got deep expertise in the area of compliance. There's a lot going on these days in the area of mortgage servicing. What are some of the hot topics that you're hearing about as it relates to mortgage services that we are facing, especially when we look into 2022, Shana? That's a great question. And I think the obvious answer is loss mitigation and then mm-hmm. navigating forbearances and post-forbearance relief in the middle of an ongoing pandemic. I hear a lot about post-pandemic servicing. And I think to myself, post-pandemic, we're still in the middle of it. (laughs) And if that doesn't sound like a heavy enough lift on its own, keep in mind that the regulatory environment around COVID relief, is still changing rapidly, especially at the state and the local level, meaning that there are still state legislatures and executives out there as well as local governments that are putting out new guidance, what seems like daily, especially if you do business like we do in all 50 states and you're trying to keep up, they're trying to protect their constituents. And so we're constantly monitoring what's going on at the state and local level to make sure that we're staying on top of things like foreclosure protections, housing assistance fund programs, as those go live in all 50 states, and any other relief measures around COVID that are continuing to evolve. So that's definitely keeping us busy. And then I would say there have been some big changes at the federal level recently, too. The CFPB's Regulation X amendments, which Mm -hmm. amended RESPA in light of COVID-19 concerns, those went into effect in August 30th this year. And then right now we're working on the new FDCPA, Fair Debt Collection Practices Act rules. And that's just been an absolute overhaul to the way that we do business as a servicer and a debt collector. Just a few more hot topics that I wanted to mention because I don't think that we can talk about loan servicing without these really important topics. And that's fair servicing and Mm -hmm. then language access for customers with limited English proficiency. 
which really goes to the point. It's why you got to have a subservicer. You got to have someone that is really taking all of this serious. TMS does a great job. We refer to him, the money source, we refer to him as TMS2 because we're TMS1. <laughs> I don't think we were there first. So we chuckle about that. Well, we had Rick Toma on, Chief Operating Officer with you back in September 27th. We were joking about that. But you guys do a really good job. And I'm impressed with the fact that you have the background that you do inside the Beltway. What should we be paying more attention to? We're hearing more and more about state regulators, as you mentioned uh, in your opening remarks, playing a bigger role in it. But is it viewed as a threat? Or I'm searching for the opportunity in all this, what you just talked about, Shana. I will be positive and I will say opportunity. <laughs> we like to say at TMS, we view our auditors a little bit like a personal trainer, right? So there are days where you don't want to do one more push-up or one more squat, but you do it because at the end of the day that you're better for it. And that's the way that we like to look at compliance, right? And we're looking at examinations. Our goal is to self-audit, to mm -hmm. be self-regulatory and find things before any examiner comes in and does. And that mm -hmm. means that we have tight controls in place. We're always checking ourselves, make sure we're doing things the right way, the way that we say we're doing it. Strong change management process in place too. And so it definitely is a challenge in these times when you have not only the federal government, you have agencies whose loans we service that are coming out with new guidance all the time. You've got state and local governments now, particularly I think during the last administration when maybe the CFPB was a little bit quieter on enforcement actions. I think we really saw the states step up. And then particularly during COVID, a lot of inquiries from the state regulators on wanting to make sure, I think first from an education standpoint, they understood what was going on with mortgage loans and servicing in their states. And then from a testing perspective, wanting to make sure that we were doing what we said we were doing when it came to a commitment to help their borrowers. And so we have seen a lot more from the states, and I think we will continue to, especially as the new housing assistance fund programs roll out. Well, there's no question it's a very dynamic environment which we find ourselves in, especially when it comes to compliance, probably more so now than ever. But if you could expand on saying why that is. Well, I'm biased because I'm a compliance officer, so I would say that it's always important. <laughs> but here's what I'll say about compliance. Let's start with in general, right? So for most Americans, owning a home is the single most expensive purchase they're ever going to make in their lifetime, as well as an important opportunity to create that generational wealth. So that's huge. And we know that it's important to understand the financial obligation that they're taking on up front at the time of loan origination. But the question is what happens afterwards, right? Loan origination, you're anywhere from 30 to 60 days and your deal is done. But mm -hmm. for most people, there are then 30 years that are left on that transaction where they could run into a myriad of issues that they need help navigating. And then today, add a global pandemic onto that, where we have such a high volume of customers who have been impacted in one way or another and now they're trying to figure out how to recover financially in a way that allows them to stay in their home and to retain their home ownership. And so it's critically important as servicers that we help them, that we educate them on knowing what the best options are for their unique situation and that we do it the right way. 
And I would say, I know we were talking earlier, you told me that you have a lot of lenders and originators who tune into your podcast. So if you're out there listening as a lender, as a mortgage loan originator, and you're thinking, why should I care about servicing? What's in it for me? I just closed the loans. The answer is retention. One, you want to keep your customers happy. And whether you're servicing your own loans or you have a subservicer who does it or you're selling them off, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you want to make sure that your customers are being treated well so they'll continue to come back to you for origination services and any other services you might provide. And then two, right now, there are a lot of great options out there, especially on agency loans that will allow for delinquent borrowers to become current again without negative impact to credit. And if it's executed correctly, that's huge because those customers are going to be able to put themselves back into a position where maybe they'll be able to qualify for refinance in the future at a lower rate or even restore their financial position so that they could have an opportunity to then use that lender or originator again for a second home, an investment property, whatever it is. And for a lot of affected borrowers, there is a low impact way out of this if, and that's a big if, they know what their options are and they're being educated and their accounts are being handled appropriately. And so that's critically important. And it's our job as servicers to make sure that that's happening across the industry. When you look at the regulatory landscape, is this beginning to create greater headwinds where you anticipate less and less people getting into servicing or going to the positive side? Is this creating really an opportunity when it's done right? Oh, that is a great question. I'm going to split the answer and say it could go either way. I think you see a lot more originators out there than you do servicers, and the cost to enter for origination is much lower for servicing. To start a servicing shop and build from the ground up, there is so much infrastructure that needs to be built out in terms of not just compliance, your policies and procedures, your operational How are you going to implement these things? You have to show all that stuff to get the approvals you need, not even to mention technology and the list there. And so I think the cost to enter servicing is extraordinarily high. So I don't know how many new servicers we will see. But what we are seeing are a lot of lenders starting to retain their servicing rights for the first time and going with a subservicer or private label. And that's definitely grown in the past two years, particularly since the pandemic. And I think when you're saying there's not going to be as many new servicers, you're talking about those bringing it in-house. There still will be an opportunity to service, and there's economics that suggests this is a tremendous good move, but more and more people need to rely on a third party such as TMS, the money source that does such an outstanding job of staying on top of this, hence this interview. I want to talk a little bit about the new Fair Debt Collection Practice Act. How big a change is this and what should our listeners know about these new rules? I'm so glad you asked this question. It is a huge change. I'm actually really surprised that it's not being talked about more in the mortgage servicing space right now, where many of us that service loans can be considered debt collectors. On the servicing side, I would say that it's probably the biggest change we've seen since the RESPA mortgage servicing rules went live under the new CFPB. Or on the origination side, I would compare it to TRID. It is just a complete overhaul. So, Shana, why is this new rule even here? What's in it that we need to know about? 
Well, the purpose of the rule change was really to modernize the regulations to align with today's debt collection practices. So the old rule, it really only referred to phone calls from debt collectors and letters being sent. And we know that today we have all sorts of communication methods. We've got emails, text messages, social media, all kinds of electronic communications that previously, they just didn't exist when the rule was written before. And so the new rule accounts for that. And it doesn't just account for these types of communications, but it contains extremely specific rules about a customer's ability to then control those communications through a series of borrower preferences. Things like as nitty gritty down to specific days, call times, even locations about this is convenient or this is inconvenient for you to contact me. And the servicer, really the debt collector, needs to pick up on those things and then comply with them. In terms of modernization, there are also rules in there for validation of email addresses and their source before you can use them mm -hmm. for ongoing text message consent. And they actually just launched uh, really recently a new database that needs to be checked for reassigned phone numbers before you send a message that could potentially disclose the debt to a third party. So there are all sorts of new requirements. They're in plain sight if you read through it, but it is lengthy. <laughs> and yeah. at TMS, we like to call it the FDCPA mountain that we're climbing right now. I'll tell you, I have two kids, and I think that the FDCPA might actually be more work right now. Although mine are still toddlers, so it's debatable, but they're pretty hand-in-hand <laughs> hand right now in terms of taking up my day in terms of attention and resources. When you have toddlers at home, I'm not sure there's anything that's more a uh, daunting task than that. So if you're comparing the two, that gives us an insight <laughs> into just how, how daunting this one is. I think it's really important to look at that, uh, the time it takes that you put into preparing it. And you look at your background, again, going back to the introduction and your background. I mean, it's so extensive. You're well-equipped when many are going to be struggling. There's a lot of talk lately about fair servicing. What exactly does that mean? And how are servicers responding or how should they be responding? Sure. So I think that honestly, people in the industry are still figuring it out. When we talk mm -hmm. about fair lending, that's something that's pretty well established nowadays. We mm -hmm. all know what the rules are, how to comply, how to test it. But we can't really say the same thing for fair servicing today. It's really a developing concept. I remember a couple of years ago at TMS, we tried to find a vendor to audit us for fair servicing compliance. We wanted to go out and hire somebody to do it. And we actually couldn't find anyone who offered it as a service. It was just unheard of at the wow. time. And that's starting to change today. There are now a handful of vendors that will do it. But as an industry, we certainly have a long way to go. So when I think of fair servicing, and we kind of started with a blank slate because we actually developed our own fair servicing audit in-house when we couldn't find anyone to do it. And so I like to think of it as it's most basic. It means you're treating your customers fairly in the servicing of their loan and that you're not discriminating based on any type of federal or even state prohibited basis. Mm -hmm. So in servicing, you would think about things like in loss mitigation. Did you maybe unknowingly deny more black borrowers for a loss mitigation option than you did for white borrowers? Or maybe did you call your Spanish-speaking borrowers who are in delinquency with the same frequency or the same call times when you're talking about how long do you talk to them for that you called your English-speaking borrowers? Or did you maybe you look at referral to foreclosure and how do you break that down by protected class? And so there's all sorts of stuff that you can dig into here 
And I would point out that discrimination doesn't have to be overt to be present. So you can have a policy or a practice that looks consistent on its face. Okay, this is how we treat all of our borrowers, but it could have an unintended disparate impact. And you wouldn't know that until you dig into the data. So just like in originations, you've got to dig in and you have to know the story that your data is going to tell. You just touched on a couple of things. Number one, about the language. And while we're on the topic about fair servicing, what about the borrower with limited English proficiency? I know this has been a hot topic of CFPB, but what should servicers be doing to help those type of customers with limited English proficiency? I'm glad you asked this question because this is one of my passion projects at KMS right now. I firmly believe that at the end of the day, as servicers, we are there to help our borrowers. And we can't do that if we can't communicate with them. So we have to meet our borrowers where they're at. And that includes communication methods, how they prefer to be communicated with. And it also includes language preference, too. So if you have a borrower who needs help, most of the time it's because they don't understand what's going on with their mortgage. And as servicers, we have the opportunity to step in and educate them. And if you can't do that in the language that they need, you need to figure out how you can get that, how you can meet them there. And I mean, I understand there are a lot of languages out there. It's a tall order to say, hey, this is what we should be doing as an industry, but it's one that we need to be working on. I don't think it's something that we can look at, say, oh, this is too complex for today, and then just put it back on the shelf. We've got to be chipping away at it. It's just one piece of the puzzle at a time. You know, you also talked a little bit about the timing and when calls are made. What's behind that? So under Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, there are set timing requirements. It is, I believe it's eight in the morning to nine o'clock at night, local time. There are states that have other restrictions. So I'm just going to call that out. It's not just the federal rule. You need to look at your individual state requirements as well. But under the FDCPA's new rules, a borrower can designate to you that a particular time or place is convenient or inconvenient. So you could be on the phone with a, a borrower and they could say, oh, what, I actually work until six o'clock every day, so please don't call me until after six o'clock. And as a servicer, we have to note that in our system. And not only does it need to be in the system, but we need to stand by that. Meaning, so if we have automated call campaigns that are going out, we need to pull that phone number out for anything that's going before 6 p.m. Or if they say, don't call me on Mondays, or don't call me on my cell phone, or whatever it is, we have to account for that, and then we need to be able to operationalize that and comply with what they're telling us. Now, it goes to the point, it's getting more and more complicated, and that's why we have to have a subservicer that really helps us, and TMS does such a good job on that. When you're looking at the times, is this complicated also the fact that many people are working from home these days? And so they're home, but we can't call them during those times. I'm just looking at the dynamics of this. It's a significant complications in there that you're facing. There certainly are. We like to think of it as a challenge. And with TMS, we're always up for the challenge. But this one, there are just a lot of pieces in play. When you're looking at phone numbers, you need to look at what type of phone number. Is it a mobile? Is it a work number? Because there might be different rules for mobile numbers under the TCPA, the Telephone Consumer Protection Act. There might be different requirements for employment numbers. A lot of states have requirements around when you can and can't call employer numbers, what times of the day, how many times a week or a month. 
we've had to program that into not just the FDCPA requirements, but the state requirements. And a lot of it just comes down to technology. What systems are you on? And do they have the ability to sort of ebb and flow and change with the rules as they change or as your implementation process change? And we're really lucky at TMS. We have an incredible in-house technology team. And we actually decided for a lot of this stuff, even though we have vendors whose platforms we use to build it out in-house because we wanted it built in a way that worked for us for our business, for our customers. And so almost everything that we built under this rule, we custom built in a proprietary way. I can speak to this because I've been in your facilities, in the Phoenix facility specifically, and I'm so impressed with the training and the technology that you've put in place there. So it's no wonder that you guys are having the growth and success that you are. I want to say thank you, Shana, so much for coming on. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that is important for our listeners to know about here today? Oh, that's a great question. I'm just going to say that mortgage servicing is complex. And a lot of people, hopefully your eyes haven't glazed over yet and you haven't stopped listening. If you do it the right way, it can be engaging. From a compliance perspective, from a technology perspective, you want to pull your customers in. You want to make sure you're giving them the information that they need and you want to serve it up in a user-friendly way. And that's what we try to do at TMS. And we've had great success and I'm going to even say fun doing it. And we look forward to continuing to share that with you and your listeners in the future. Well, we're glad to have you here. The culture in your company is one of those cultures I just admire so much. And it starts with leadership. So you and Rick Toma and the rest of the team do a great job of bringing a a kind of culture where people want to come to work, look forward to it, and then are having fun as much as they can when it comes to the W-O-R-K word work. But it's more than the job. You get a sense of that when you're in your offices. People really care about uh, what they're doing. And so kudos out to the executive team for all that they're doing there at the Money Source. Great to have you here, Shane. Appreciate you so much. And kudos to you for the work you're doing and staying on top of all these ever-evolving regulations. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you, David. All right. I enjoyed that interview. She just bubbled Jack with so much energy when I was talking with her and would love to get your commentary. She covered a lot. The first thing I just want to highlight to our listeners is you take what Alan Pollack said about know your customer, and then you look at what Chana was talking about with upping the game around client retention, and you put those two together. And clearly, a winning mortgage operation is diving deep within the massive amount of data that they have at the consumer or or customer level and really building out what their book of business looks like from a client profile. And then to be able to extend that through servicing with a attentive, good quality experience through the servicing process is so critical to raising our retention rates as an industry from the very low numbers that they're at today, David. Then I thought really the second thing that Shana hit on that resonated with me is just the infrastructure that you have to put in place to successfully service in a compliant manner in today's market. At my previous stop, we managed about a $14 billion servicing portfolio at its apex. And at least in my mind, clearly the move to outsource that was the correct move. I mean, given 
all of the federal regulations and state regulations, the army that I would have had to bring on to effectively manage in that type of environment and stay current and fresh. What Alice was talking about earlier in the podcast, that some of these state regs changing daily. And how do you keep up with that? Well, you employ people to keep up with that. And to that extent, the subservicer takes that on as one of the prerequisites for being in that business. And to the origination company, they oftentimes don't feel the same compulsion to make that a strength. They check a box, they want to do a good job at it, but do they excel at it? And the answer is, is most of them don't, David. And so I think a subservicer makes a lot of sense for many companies. Yeah, I agree with you. Let's move on as we wrap up the podcast, Jack, as you think over everything we've talked about on the podcast, starting out with the markets and how they're just falling apart, it seems like right at the moment, continuing to see the 10-year treasury climbing up. That's just one of those things like, oh, my gosh. But then also some of the other things we talked about with COVID, any final parting thoughts on all of this? Well, the two things to stay aware of this week is the FOMC December minutes are going to hit the market clearly in the press conference that Chairman Powell had following the December FOMC, a lot of the phraseology turned hawkish with regards to the acceleration of the Fed easing out of the market Mm -hmm. and the propensity or likelihood to see up to three interest rate hikes next year. So Mm -hmm. the minutes will be very telling to confirm what we already believe in that hawkish move. And then Unemployment numbers on Friday, I think the consensus is 400,000. Look, we continue to exist in a very low unemployment market. What, it was 4.2% in November. Mm -hmm. It's projected to drop to 4.1% in December. And then on the other hand, we have a very constrained labor market. So those are the two things I'm going to be keeping my eye on this week with regards to news out of the market. And certainly January 7th with the Supreme Court ruling. The 10th is on Monday, a week from today. So uh, lots to unfold when they meet. Will they cover it and will they make an announcement on the 9th so that we know how to navigate this one week out? It's interesting. Just realize that. And I think the answer comes back to finding that middle ground. Alice, again, talked about corporate culture, and this will be very divisive to corporate culture. I think the work-at-home solution makes a lot of sense. Look, David, I managed all the way through 2020 and the bulk of 2021. We were in a work-from-home environment, and I don't think there was a single record, whether or not it be profit or volume, that we didn't break in 2020, I would tell you, we were very efficient working from a remote environment. And now that many of us in the industry already have that mental exercise of being able to work from home, I think one way to navigate through this as this case law settles out is to up the game on the work from home again. Yep. I think the work at home is going to be here to stay, and even more so when you look at these kind of situations. More and more companies are saying we're finding it to be far more efficient. Yet, got another call from another bank client who says our bank is absolutely requiring people to return to the office by this date. Now, it's so interesting to think that date coincides with the ruling on this. So they didn't anticipate this, and they're one of these companies now 
having to backpedal where their stance is on it. But it's going to be interesting. We're going to be talking a lot about that in the upcoming year as we go through many of the hot topic issues. Jack, I'm so grateful that you have decided to take some of your retirement time and join me on the microphone here. You do a great job, and I appreciate you so much. My pleasure. You and I have been in this industry for so long, and it is a good thing when you can give back a little bit. It is, and I appreciate you giving back, and you have so much to give back, as we both do. So we're grateful to have the opportunity, listeners, to be there with you. Next week, we're going to have Julian Lumpkin on, talking uh, of success, Kit, and he's going to be talking about his process. I think it's so important how we tell our story. And I always say there's a great proverb I quote all the time. It says, let another man's mouth praise you, not that of your own. And I think when we try to tell our own story, we don't do necessarily the best job. I think that's why I'm really excited about our partnership with Success Kit and hearing what Julian has to say. We're talking about that. Also want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, the Lenders One, as well as Incelerate, Mobility, MMI, Modex, the MBA, Knowledge Coop, Mortgage Collaborative, SnapDocs, and success kit as well as the lender toolkit folks have a great rest of your week it's going to be an interesting one with the hearing that we've got coming up on january this friday for the supreme court on the covid vaccine mandate so stay tuned we'll have lots of commentary on that next week great to have you with us everybody have a great week and see you back here next week You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.